The opinions expressed on this show do not necessarily reflect those of the owner, staff, or management of this radio station. Girlfriend, here is your show. Girlfriended, your chance to connect with other women, especially the woman that is most overlooked, yourself. Girlfriended is all about helping you become self-aware, not self-involved. The aim is to provide information that relates to life, which leads to real connections and results in a desire to connect or care for those in need. The Girlfriended principle was born out of loss. Patty's mother was murdered, and Lisa lost her mother to cancer. This forged a bond between them that nothing could shake. And now the women want to help you in more ways than you can count every day. From the website, GirlfriendIt.com, and the movement, GirlfriendIt, here are Patty Wyatt and Lisa Jernigan on Toginet.com. What is your life saying to others? Well, I guess I would have to ask you, since uh, other, what is <laughs> it saying? Other. You are the other. What is it saying? <laughs> well, it's funny that you would ask that because... Just the other day, um, how you see others is actually really significant in, in such a way that uh, there was a study done, and it was in the July issue of the Journal of Personality and Social Psychology. You're that, really going heady on me, aren't you? I am, so soon in the show, which is, I, it just was so interesting that we're talking about this. You were in this. your research mode again, weren't you? <laughs> I was in my research mode, and it was saying that negative perceptions of others are linked to higher levels of narcissism and antisocial behavior, which is, is kind of comical because I, I don't know if you've ever, well, actually I do know because you and I have talked about, you're sitting around the room and you, you might look around and go, okay, there's a lot of like weird, bizarre people here. And how you perceive others says a lot about yourself and to even let your, your head go there. I mean, we know in scripture, it talks about judging others and we know not to judge and yet we all seem to judge and compare and it was interesting because in this study uh, a lot of the the survey they they rated their friends they rated their uh, roommates they rated their co-workers and then the ones that had rated them in an, in a very negative way they also went back a year later and those same people were rating the people around them in the same negative way. But the ones, I am getting heady here. The yeah, ones, I'm trying to follow. Like, <laughs> yeah, okay. The ones that have, you know, positive things to say about their roommates and their coworkers, they seem to be doing better, progressing at, at a higher rate because those people were grateful, they were enthusiastic about their jobs, and they were enthusiastic about those people around them. Basically, they had a good attitude? Yes. Okay. Yes. Uh -huh. okay. So, since you're asking me that question, I want to be highly positive about you, and I want to have a great attitude about And I, I, too, would like you to have that about me. Okay, but I'm going to put you on hold. I'm going to hit the pause button here, because before we get too far into our show, you are listening to Girlfriend at Radio with Patty Wyatt and Lisa Jernigan, where we rally you to do the remarkable through resources and relationships. And we're going to have more information about today's fabulous show and other tips and tricks on our website at girlfriendit.com. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Well, you know, we both are really excited about the show today because in a few moments, we are going to be joined by our special guest, who is Jed Metafine. And Jed is one of those guys, he um, he has quite the, the resume and quite the, the titles, but, but he is really has a heart for just helping people communicate in a way that trans 
transforms. Culture transforms lives. And basically, he gets his principles from the teachings of Jesus, even though he has been in the presence of some amazing communicators like the president of the United States, because he served as a special assistant to President George W. Bush and uh, actually Which- had an office in the White House. So I don't know how how much higher you can get. <laughs> yes. And of course, since he's been at the highest, he, we're going to call him our bestie. And it's probably not a good thing that we have his phone number anymore. Too. <laughs> well, not for him, but we won't, we won't say that out loud, will we? Well, he's going to have some thought-provoking tips that will help us um, really to think bigger, and it will actually stir an adrenaline rush inside of us, which, you know, we loved. when As soon as something starts stirring us, it's like, I, I had a phrase, I heard a phrase the other day saying, we are all natural evangelists. And you know, when you get that adrenaline rush going and something is stirring inside and you get excited about something, especially as women, we have to talk about it. Yes. And, and, and when we, when we get into that adrenaline rush, you do want to take on the world. It's having that, once again, having that grateful attitude where you're enthusiastic, you know, people want to be around you. And, and I have to go back to, uh, speaking of provoking tips just the other night, you invited a core group of pastor's wives from our church for a fun bash. I noticed I wasn't invited. You don't mix me with the, with the pastor's wives. Well, first of all, you are not a pastor's wife. Secondly, I'm not sure on the inappropriate, um, meter, you know, sometimes where you're going to fall, but it's always lively and interesting. I get, I get the duct tape put on if I'm invited. Okay. You know, you're always welcome. If you want to crash the party, please feel free to well, join us. I love that you did this because I think that there's, we can all walk away with how do we in ministry, how do we tighten up communication? How do we have the, you know, these thought provoking, uh, just these tips that we can pass on, um, to others in, in how we can get rid of apathy and so many things that we're looking and we're all on the same page. So tell us a little bit more about what you did. Well, and the night. whole purpose is, um, you know, we have quite a few staff at our church and the, the problem has been is how do you keep everybody in the loop so they know what's going on? Mm-hmm. And as you know, I don't know, you know, with Kevin, but I know with my husband in the past, we have to work at communication as far as in the, the church world or the work world, because as many of us wives know, we are generally the last to know anything. Yes. And people assume, especially my husband's senior pastor, people assume I know everything because I'm married and to, to the pastor. And I'm generally the last one to know a lot of times because mm-hmm. by the time they get home, that's not our communication. We're not right. talking about those right. things. We're it's talking not about like other you things. Have staff meetings at home. Exactly. <laughs> that's a good point. So it's been funny because over the years we have actually laughed about it because I have found out literally the day before. It's like, oh, by the way, um, the staff Christmas party is tomorrow night. Yeah. And oh, by the way, um, we need to take a you know something to this. When I need a gift, you know, for this. Mm-hmm. And oh, by the way, whenever I hear oh, by the way, I cringe because I'm like, okay. What what did not get communicated? Mm-hmm. So I feel the pain of wives that, you know, they have they don't know what's going on in their husband's world. And so we really have to work hard at communication. I don't care who it is, with our children, with mm-hmm. our spouses, with our friends. And a lot of time things just kind of will, you know, slide through and it won't get addressed. So one of the things I'm passionate about is how do we keep women in, you know, in the know in, in our church and, and aware of things? Cause that's, cause then they'll get engaged. You know, you can't get engaged in something you don't know about. Right. Right. <laughs> you can't show up if you don't know that there's something to show up to. Well, and, so, and we get to the 
point, too, in our um, day of technology that we think, oh, I'm just going to blast an email out. But people really want that face-to-face. And I, just like you said, especially as women. So the fact that you're gathering and having that be the community to get the pastor's wives together, and you can kind of cast the vision from a different perspective. Not well, just and what we did is we got, like, you know, 10 women who are kind of the leadership core. And then each one of them are going to have, like, five women. So we'll pour into them the 10 and they will pour into the rest of them just to know what's going on in their mm-hmm. lives. We said, we just want to know when someone's having a baby, when they're experiencing an, an illness in the family or a death in the family, it's like, we want to be brought in so we can truly surround them in a community. And, you know, when you start communicating and, and knowledge is power mm-hmm. and people are aware what's going on and, and sometimes why it's going on, then it really is, they can get engaged and they mm-hmm. get more excited. And then transformation starts happening. Yes. It's like, I know what I'm doing now and I know why I'm doing it. I'm not left out of the loop. So really effective communication. A lot of it's just keeping people in the loop and, and also communicating in a way that they want to be in the loop. Well, exactly. Because you can't do that many times in an email. You can't create that excitement and they can't hear your enthusiasm. So to be able to breathe into people all in a room when everybody else is excited and that adrenaline's going, you really have to have that face to face community time. Well, you kind of came this morning to the table, kind of on a little adrenaline high. And I'm going to have to mock you a little bit because this kind of goes along with the effective communication. And you have been wanting to go to junior high camp, which I, for the life of me, don't understand why, but it's been a really big deal to you. (laughs) And for the past, I think, three months. And you have been... You didn't get asked, I think, was quite the thing. And that is the, your first well, challenge is, you know. I, I asked, and it was like, no, thank you. We're fine. <laughs> We've got it covered. And, and that did not settle really well Well, with because you. I have gone, literally, for the last 14 years, I have been a part of, like, either middle school, junior high, high school. And I was going to high school camp, but I wanted to do junior high as well. Which, so I have let, to let me repeat. I that. do not understand that. <laughs> I, I, you know, I love high school. I love junior high, too. But I, at this stage in life, I, I'm like, okay, I, I've done like, you know, 20 years of that. Yeah, so it's yeah. like, I'm okay to, to pass the baton on that one. But it was funny because it, it became a challenge to you and you really wanted to go. And, and so I was just watching, you cleared your calendar. You did, cause you knew, knew you're going to get asked. And finally the big moment happened this week when <laughs> we you leave. got that phone week. call yes. and you were going next week and you have been, and you went to a meeting last night and you came in this morning on this high, like ready to take the world. And it is kind of, it's transformational where I kind of go, what am I going to be missing next week now? <laughs> But I don't want to go still. But you kind of communicate in a way that you go, okay, great things are going to happen, you know, and and lives are going to be changed. And a lot of significant things do happen at camp. I mean, my husband even accepted the Lord at camp. And that was life changing. And that is the point is that I think you look back in your own life and that's where pivotal things happen to me at camp. So to be a part of that and and to communicate that and to watch lives being transformed is huge. And it, it actually has kind of hurt me to a certain degree because I have that camp experience. So I want my entire life to be a camp experience. Like when we go in to the strip clubs and we minister to girls, I want to have a camp experience right then and there. I, I want to get to know your timetable. And then a week later, you know, have coffee with them and they're going to go, I want what you're having. What is it? Because at camp, 
God's already planted the seeds, the Holy Spirit's working, and major things happen. And I think that is why it's just so, so significant to me, because it is those little things. And as we're talking in the show, it's the little things that add up to big things. And we just want to just real quickly, because we only have a minute before we're going to commercial break, is... Um, Focus sometimes on those little things to plant the seeds, giving a stranger a Transformation smile. happens in the little things. Absolutely. That, that morph into the big things. And we can all do, I, Mother Teresa, you know, not all of us can do great things, but we can all do small things with great love. And that's exactly, and you know, that's what's going to happen next week with you at junior high. So stay with us. We'll be right back. And we're talking with our special guest, Jed Metafine, and it's going to be an interesting conversation. is Girlfriend on Togginap. Don't forget to tell your friends to check it out on GirlfriendIt.com. It's time to discover it, connect it, propel it, Girlfriend It. And we'll be right back with more Girlfriend It Radio right after these. My husband and I were in youth ministry and knew nothing about church planning. But as we felt God leading us to start a new church, we were connected with Stadia. They gave us coaching and personal care, giving us the confidence that we needed. They even have a ministry called Bloom that's designed to support me as a lead planner spouse. We now lead a church in Cleveland, Ohio that's transforming lives, and we couldn't have done it without Stadia. Stadia brings people and churches together to transform lives and communities through church planting. For more information, go to stadia.cc. Is there more living for you to do? Yes. Start living inspired. Be here for Living Inspired with Trisha Goyer. Thursday afternoons at 4, 3 p.m. Central on toginet.com. Trisha will dig deep into topics that matter most to women, inspiring women to make a change in their own lives and to make a difference in the world and maybe even deep within their own hearts. Trisha is a wife, mom, speaker, family expert, and author of 24 books. For more information on Trisha and Living Inspired, go to her website, trishagoyer.com. That's T-R-I-C-I-A-G-O-Y-E-R.com. Trisha's vision is to be the voice of hope and possibility for women of all ages. Her intention is to serve ordinary women by encouraging extraordinary things with God's help. Trisha expresses real life, real hope for real women. Is there more living for you to do? Yes. Start living inspired. Living Inspired with Trisha Goyer. Thursday afternoons at 4, 3 p.m. Central on toginet.com. back to Girlfriended Radio, a chance for you to let your hair down, curl up with a mug of whatever you love, and have some nice girl talk. It's Girlfriended, the radio show on toginet.com. And now back to the show with your hosts, Patty and Lisa. Well, welcome back to our show. This day we are talking about what our lives are communicating. And joining us now is our special guest, Jed Metafine. Jed serves as president of the Christian Alliance for Orphans, a coalition of 140-plus organizations working together to inspire and equip Christians worldwide for effective adoption, foster care, and global orphan initiatives. Previously, Jed led the White House Office of Faith-Based and Community Initiatives 
executives as a special assistant to President George W. Bush. And previously, Judd held a range of posts in the California State Legislature. He has worked, studied, and served in more than 30 countries with organizations ranging from Pricewaterhouse in Moscow to Christian Life Bangladesh. And Judd has written numerous articles and three books. He co-authored Four Souls, which explores questions of faith, purpose, poverty, and community amidst a real-life journey around the globe. His most recent book, Upended, How Following Jesus Remakes Your Words and World, examines what it means to live as an apprentice to Jesus in the way we connect, influence, and love. And Judd, we just have to give you a very warm, special welcome to our show, and we so appreciate you being on today. Oh, thanks so much. It's great to be with you. Well, you and your co-author, Eric, have worked with many of the world's very best communicators. Um, We've already bragged about you being in the White House um, to Madison Avenue, and yet you claim none hold a candle to Jesus. Why is that claim there? Well, you know, that, that is just the simple truth of it. We, um, you know, Eric and I both have, the majority of our careers have been in professional communications, political, marketing, and yet we have been, both of us, uh, I would say the word would be astounded as we've gone back to the Gospels, which we've been familiar with all our lives. We both would have defined ourselves as Christians, and yet when we've looked closely at the way that Jesus approached communication, whether on the macro level influencing the crowds, as well as on the individual level with a single person, uh, there's just nothing in the world of history, there's nothing in the world of today's uh, marketing and political communications that matches it. It is deep, it is powerful, it is lasting, and, and, and it's been deeply influential in the way that Eric and I approach our faith as we've examined that. Well, it, it is really interesting because you can have all these people that, you know, research all this communication do that. And it just really does go back to the, the teachings of Jesus. And like you guys say, being an apprentice of, of Jesus and how he did back in a little bit, your journey as a communicator, like you said, you said earlier, you know, been in the state legislature, even in the White House. How has that how does that affect even your faith and how you even seen Jesus and even comparing, you know, the, the very best of, of our, of our culture with the, with, you know, on the spiritual one with Jesus, how have you seen some correlations there? Yeah. Well, you know, one of the biggest things for, for both Eric and I was, uh, as we were beginning this journey, uh, was realizing that although we have been Christians all our lives and, and although we have put our trust in Jesus Christ, for the state of our eternal uh, situation, often the truth of Jesus Christ didn't permeate our daily lives when we went to work in the legislature, in the White House, or on marketing things. And so what really began this journey was asking the question, what do the eternal truths of Christ, what does the, the, the things that he expressed and the ways that he lived, how does that impact the small choices we make when we're shaping a speech in the White House, when we're parenting our children, when we're when we're in an intimate moment with our spouse, how how does Jesus Christ speak into that space? And that exploration has been what has been so significant for, for us. Hmm. Well, it's interesting because so many times we think, oh, you have to go into full time ministry, and not realizing that 
what you guys are doing. You know, we, we've had Eric on the show and in the same conversation that if you really are following the principles of Jesus, you're doing ministry from the time you wake up till the time you go to bed. And yet we have a tendency to draw the line and go, no, now I'm doing ministry and now I'm going to work rather than just living and breathing what what Jesus has taught us to do. And what what would be some some tips in that cuz we we can sit there and it sounds so trite to go, "Oh, we're Jesus followers and oh, we're we're living Jesus's principles." And and just on a side note, it's funny because we just uh a lot of times we'll we'll google things like what what does it say on Wikipedia about living a life that others want to talk about? And it, they're all principles that you have in the Bible, but one of them was um, do not procrastinate. That's living a life that others want to follow. And it's like, those are all what, what Jesus is talking about. Scripture just backs up, but yet we think we, you know, we've come up with these great things to, to be able to, to give us tips. So what would be some of your tips? Yeah, yeah. Well, and I, let me jump into that in one moment, but let me say one thing ahead of that. And, and this comes from the final chapter of the book. It's titled, The Biggest Decisions We Ever Make. And the, the question is, so what are the biggest decisions we make? And, you know, so often I think we tend to think of those as the, those choices of, uh, you know, where we're going to go live, what job we're going to take, whom we're going to marry. Those, and those are very big choices. But what I have come to realize, what, what Eric and I have really emphasized, is that it's often the, the very small decisions, the unnoticed ones, the small habitual choices, the ways that we interact with others, the ways that we listen, um, those are the choices that ultimately, first of all, shape who we are becoming, and second of all, leave a lasting impact in the lives of others. And, uh, you know, David Brooks actually had a great um, column last week from the New York Times that just talked about the fact that we are always becoming something. And usually it is the small choices we make that are shaping us as we go about our lives, and we are becoming either something, and, and David Brooks didn't make this point, but I would, that we're either becoming more like Jesus Christ, more sharing his heart, his character, his kind of impact on others, or less like that. And so what, you know, what I'd love to talk about more this morning is what those specific, small, often unnoticed choices are, but that's the central truth of the book, that it is those small, often overlooked things that really leave the lasting impact and make us who, who we are becoming. You're absolutely right, and that, let's just keep talking about that, because so many times we overlook those small things, we see them as insignificant, and we don't realize the profound effect a small decision or a small choice that we just think it's it's random, it's compartmentalized, it doesn't really matter, but it really does um, lead, it's a thread that leads to other things, and you see, um, Patty and I work so many times with a lot of women that have been, that are in the dancing in the clubs and in the sex industry and just in women in general we we work with women just to encourage them and we hear so many life stories and nobody and if you even talk to an alcoholic nobody chose and like when they first started going i want to become an alcoholic or i want to become this but it's all those little decisions and little choices that started way back that start adding up mm -hmm. and like you said all of a sudden you've become somebody that you go how did i get here mm -hmm. and it really is about making wise choices and you see this so many times in people's lives you would just want to when you're looking from the outside looking at them you want to go didn't you see that coming when you made that decision so let's let's talk about that because that it really is significant especially for women. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, well, absolutely, for all of us, 100%. And so, so here's the question. You know, we, we feel this desire uh, to, be, to be radical, to live lives that are larger than life in, in our faith and, and beyond that in, or, or within that. And the question is, how do we do that? And, and the answer, I believe, it always comes down to small daily choices we're making. So what are those? And uh, let's, let's plunge into a few of those, and, and specifically some of these chapters from, from the book um, that, that, that just struck Eric and I so deeply. Um, you know, I, I think number one is this. Um, we live today in a culture that is more technologically connected than ever before. Um, you know, in, in every way, you don't need to give examples there, but, and yet there is this vague sense of disconnect that we all live with, uh, a sense of longing for deeper sense of connection and relationship with others. And the question is, what, you know, what, what kinds of choices enable us to enter into that? And, and um, you know, one of the stories from the gospel that really has struck Eric and I afresh as we've come with this question of, of how do we learn to communicate as apprentices to Jesus is the one of, of the bleeding woman. And, uh, and, and you remember perhaps that Jesus was actually on his way to heal the daughter of a very influential man, so he's on this urgent mission. This little girl elsewhere is dying, so he's rushing there. The father's next to him. There's a crowd around him, and there's the same kind of urgency and noise and distraction that fill all of our lives in various ways today. And yet, in the midst of that, this woman reaches out and touches him, and the Gospels declare that she was healed of the disease uh, the moment she touched him. And yet, even though Jesus had all this urgency and mission and noise at that time, he stopped in the middle of all that, and he turns around and he says, who touched me? And then he waits until this one lonely woman falls out of the crowd in front of him and, and confesses that it was she who touched him. And, and then, perhaps most shockingly of all, the Gospels describe that, that she told him her whole story. She described how she had been bleeding for 12 years, and doctors had taken her money, but it not healed her, and all that went with that. And only at the end of all of that did Jesus say, daughter, go in peace. Your faith has made you well. And, and what just is so powerful about that is that the level of premium, the premium that Jesus put on the idea of attentiveness amidst this crowd and noise and urgency, he gave himself completely to this one marginalized woman who was in front of him. And, and I feel like just when I think personally about my own life, you know, I feel that urgency, the noise and the technology and everything swirling around me in the to-do list, and I want to get on to that next thing. And what I realize is if I'm going to be an apprentice to Jesus in the way I live, then I need to put that kind of premium on attentiveness and full presence to the person that God brings in front of me in each moment of life, whether that's a coworker, a janitor, uh, my, you know, my five-year-old, that is where apprenticeship is lived out. That is where life becomes radical in little decisions like that. Well, Jad, that's so funny that you even brought that up because um, this, this week, uh, we met this gal over the last three months or so that works at Denny's and we go there sometimes to have our meetings and she is an ex-con, has uh, all kinds of issues that she's dealing with and I said, you know what, I would really like to help you out and connect you with someone. So I have all these things that I'm trying to get done because I, I'm trying to get to, to 
go to church camp next week. So it's exactly what you're saying. All this noise, all these, you know, you're trying to get emails done. You're trying to get meetings all the way and having to take care of, you know, I'm going to have to hold that thought because I'm getting the countdown from our sound engineer. So we are going to take a quick break. And when we return, we'll continue our conversation with Jed Medifine and we'll be right back after this commercial. So stay there with us. is Girlfriended on Toginap. Don't forget to tell your friends to check it out on Girlfriended.com. It's time to discover it, connect it, propel it, Girlfriend it. And we'll be right back with more Girlfriended Radio right after these. We were thriving in a youth ministry when God clearly called us out of our Bible Belt comfort zone to plant a church in California. Stadia's 90-plus percent success rate gave us all the confidence we needed. They also cared for us through amazing support networks to encourage us like Bloom, a one-of-a-kind ministry for planters' wives. It's here I find deep friendships with like-minded gals who want to change lives. Stadia brings people and churches together to transform lives and communities through church planting. For more information, go to stadia.cc. Join us every Monday at 10 a.m. Central for the Johnny Rowland News, Guns, and Motorsports radio show. With commentary about current events, guns, shooting, and firearms issues, automotive and motorsports features, and special music presentations. Johnny is recognized as an international firearms authority and ballistic engineer, as well as an accomplished and widely recognized automotive designer and longtime TV and radio host. This program draws on Johnny's experience in shooting, motorsports, and as a professional entertainer musician. Don't miss Johnny Roland News, Guns, and Motorsports. Entertainment at its best. Trust us on this one. It's a fun show. Every Monday morning at 10 a.m. Central, right here on the Toginet Radio Network. Welcome back to Girlfriended Radio. A chance for you to let your hair down, curl up with a mug of whatever you love, and have some nice girl talk. It's Girlfriended, the radio show on Toginet.com. And now back to the show with your hosts, Patty and Lisa. to our show. We are talking about what our lives are communicating. And joining us today, we have our special guest, Jed Metafine, who serves as president of the Christian Alliance for Orphans. And Jed, we were just talking about uh, just your encouragement of the little things. And that's one of my favorite stories is the woman walking down the street and just reaching out and touching uh, Jesus's just the fabric and just, you know, reaching out how he did. He stopped right there and turned around and asked the question. And uh, we need to be reminded of that because, like I said, this this past week, how trying to just the hustle and bustle. And we're trying to, like you said, just change the world. And we want to do it in the in, in, the, the masses. We want to hit the, the most people that we possibly can. And I, to be honest, sometimes it's annoying when you have to just, like, focus on that one. And that's not what 
Jesus wants us to do. It's that one. It's the, it's the little choices. And Lisa and I will say that all the time. Maybe it's just about this one girlfriend that we're helping rather than, you know, how come you're not out here speaking to the, the, the thousands? But this particular gal, um, I was trying to connect her with another gal that that's what she does. She has a ministry for ex-cons and, um, she wasn't calling her. She wasn't contacting her. I felt like I was really having to, to push her through this and, and make it happen. And just to be even be patient with that, because there, there's that little part in your mind that goes, I don't have time for this. If you're not going to, if you're not going to, you know, make your choices to make this happen, I'm not going to like pull you over the, the finish line. And sometimes it does take us to kind of pull them over the finish line and really encourage them and to, to take the time to figure out why do they not want to make those small choices for, for their own life transformation. So it's good to hear that. It's good to be reminded of that. Absolutely. And, and that's where faith is lived out. You know, it, it, we, we get caught up in these big ideas and we want to do something big for God. We want to live in big ways. And that's not necessarily a bad inclination. But, you know, when we ask ourselves the question, you know, if we, we read about those early Christians who were thrown to the lions and did they recant their faith or not and things like that, you know, and we wonder what would we do if we were presented with that crossroads of, of uh, you know, either recanting our faith or ending up in the arena in front of the lions. And, and that question we can never answer, but the watershed for us is actually with what you're describing, with that, that woman who is, is hurting and lonely and probably has never learned to live well, and are you going to listen to her story and be present to her and, and, and give up some of your to-do list so that you can be with her and listen to her and, and draw her forward? That is the watershed for you, and, that, and decisions like that for me, it's, you know, it's, it's when I get home from work, am I going to spend a lot of my focus on my BlackBerry or going to be, am I going to be fully present to my kids and to my wife and love them well? Those are the crossroads, daily choices made hundreds of times over that ultimately add up to, to a life that's either fully Christ or more just about ourselves. Mm-hmm. And, and it is the little things. I, I was yesterday went shopping with my entire family and my 11 year old kept wanting my time at, at the store. It's like, come over here and help me find a bathing suit. Come over here and help me. And it was like, okay, go, you can go over there and do it on your own. And my sister said, you know, next year she could care less if you were with her and just those little things that you need someone to come along. And that's why it's so important to surround yourself with, a, with, you know, great people that can breathe into you to go, hello, wake up. And just like you said, are you going to focus on your Blackberry? Or are you going to give some, you know, value, valuable time to others? Because then there'll come a time they don't want it. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, of course, we have such limited time on this in this conversation. But I, I would add that I think the, the, one of the primary watershed areas has to do with how we handle technology and the barriers that we choose for that. Because, you know, as, as you know, with, with the smartphones and everything else, it can truly invade every last crack and crevice of life. Mm -hmm. And if we do not actively push back against that, if we don't choose specific habits of when we will shut it off, when we will turn from it, when we will, you know, if, if we do not make those choices, it will invade. And so if we're going to love others well, especially if we're going to offer them the gift of presence, full presence and true attentiveness, we are going to have to be very aggressive in how we choose uh, to deal with technology like that. So what are some tips that how you are able to manage that? Do you have any tips on some boundaries for that, especially as parents? 
Yeah, well, you know, for myself, it, it, a, a big part of it is is choosing specific times when I will not access my uh, my iPhone, you know, in terms of emails and otherwise, the text messages. And that's in the morning when I, I uh, you know, have breakfast with the kids and we do Bible verses together and various things. And so from the time, uh, unless I really need to check in on something, I might when I first wake up. But, but I, until from the time I wake up to the time I head off to the office, I don't, I don't use it so I can be fully present uh, to, to my wife Rachel and our kids. And then um, when I get home, I pull up in the driveway, I check my messages one last time on the phone, and then until the kids are in bed, I, I won't check it again. So those two things, along with Sundays, um, again, you know, there's times of exception when I might have to be engaged, but, but typically on Sundays, we, we actually have a practice of no emails um, and, and no checking the phone so that, so that we can just be fully present to each other fully enter into the blessing of rest. It's not a legalistic thing, but it really has become a wonderful expression and taste of the Sabbath rest that God created the Sabbath for us in the first place. You know, you made some great points, but we really do live in a very noisy world, especially with technology, and it just really does scream for our attention. And it is it is a point of tension and just realizing how to be attentive and how to be present. And it's hard to even be still with yourself and even having that time alone with God because so many things are rushing around you that you go, I should do this, I should do that. And in your book, you really do uh, talk about just effective communication and in a way that transforms. So, like, and one of your tips is just as very well uh, given is, you know, start with the small things. Small things lead to great transformation. What are some other other tips that you have noticed, you and Eric, and, and just even in your realm of experience being at the high levels of government, what do you see as effective taking being apprentice of Jesus and combining effective communication to really be a part of transformation? Yeah. Well, you know, one, one thing I'd say on uh, entering into that is that it's really the same things at the macro and micro level. Now, you know, sometimes it works out differently, but, but the same basic truths are just as true whether you're in the White House or whether you're spending, um, you know, an afternoon with your three-year-old. It's the same fundamental principles. And if we're reflecting the heart of Jesus Christ, and that heart then flows into the way we communicate, uh, that is that is where it's at. You know, again, where, wherever we are, may be, and it's the small choices of living that out that really are the essence of discipleship and the essence of a life well lived. Um, one other specific thing, so, so getting, again, very practical with that, that, that for Eric and I has been very significant, and we, of course, developed a couple chapters to this, is the way that Jesus put such an emphasis on asking good questions. Um, you know, the, the Gospels record more than 150 questions that Jesus asked. And that's, when you think about it, here's Jesus, who is the way and the truth and the life. He is the one who has the answers, and yet he continually returned to asking questions in the way that he communicated with others. You know, whether it was he'd tell the story of the Good Samaritan and then ask the question, who was this man's neighbor? Or he says to Peter, Peter, do you love me? Or he asked the disciples, what were you arguing about along the way? And, and all these questions, of course, are inviting his listeners into the process of discovery together. And, and, and we all know this. If someone just gives us a prepackaged conclusion and ends the statement with an exclamation point, um, we will often have our defenses up. We, we may not, but we will also be defensive against that. But if someone asks a good question and invites us to enter into that discussion with us, first of all, it, it honors us. It turns the focus upon us. It says, you matter, your opinion matters, your thoughts matter. But then we have to interact with that. We can't just be defensive. We have to be thoughtful and, and open ourselves to that process of discovery. And so, um, you know, I realized if I'm going to be an apprentice to Jesus in the way that I communicate, 
that is going to be another part of it, not just attentiveness, not just the gift of presence, but taking it further and, and really putting thought into the kinds of questions I ask, whether that's of my team and, and I'm leading, you know, some, some national initiative, or whether that's of, of my, you know, my three-year-old son or, or my, my five-year-old daughter or any of my kids. Well, questions really are powerful, and it's like it's not like you said, it's not always getting to the answer, but engaging in dialogue, because somebody can ask a question and it poses the, the dialogue goes, and you go like, I've never thought of it in this way, and questions really are powerful. And you notice a lot of times people don't really ask a lot of questions. You can get into it's it, you know with somebody they, the, people are so willing to talk but not ask a good question, and that really is a, a significant statement. I want to I want to jump because just the sake of time, you have a chapter titled "The Rarest Commodity in America." What is that? Yes. What is it? Is it gold? Is it is it diamonds? Is it oil? No, Eric and I really believe that the rarest commodity in America is attentiveness. Just truly giving your whole focus to the person in front of you. And and you know, we've we've all been on both sides of, of that equation, you know, being with someone else but knowing that their attention is everywhere but the present and we feel frustrated by that and we kinda of, you know want to wave our hand in front of their face and say, Hey, I'm here. Let's focus for five minutes or just a fifteen minute conversation. But then at the same time, being on the other side of that, being being the one who's distracted and you know, and thinking about our prior conversation, thinking about what we need to do next, checking checking our iPhone. And, uh, and so what, what happens, though, is that when we decide to follow Jesus in this matter, in, in the practice of attentiveness, we are giving something that is so incredibly rare that it is deeply countercultural, and it is, it is even shocking. It makes um, us the kind of person that, that surprises people because we are truly attentive to the things they're thinking about, we're asking good questions, and the next time we're with them, we remember one or two of the things they shared, and we, we ask them about it again. And so that, that practice of giving the rarest commodity attentiveness is a profoundly countercultural act. It is so counterculture, and it, it's getting worse. I, I know I was just at a, a wedding, and I was sitting there, and on both sides of me, and, and they might be listening to this, but that's okay because I already teased him about it profusely. On both sides, they had their phone, and they were – checking their phones and looking at their phones. And it it's just funny because it leaves you there going, okay, I can't turn to the person on the right and have a conversation. <laughs> and I can't turn to the person on the left. They're literally checking their phones while you're sitting there at a wedding at, at the dinner table. And we, at one point, we've said this is okay somehow. You know, it, it, there was a time where we said, oh yeah, when you go to lunch or you go to dinner, nobody has their phones. And now we've gotten to the point where it's more acceptable or something. Well, and that attentiveness really is significant. And we're going to have to take a, a commercial break here. But because being attentive, not only in a conversation, but being attentive to what's going on around us in our culture and how we can be a part of that. And when we come back, Jed believes that the love of orphans transforms both personally and through the example of countless others. He's seen that lives are turned upside down when Christians reflect God's heart for orphans through adoption, foster care, and global orphan care. This kind of love transforms not only orphans, but also those who open their hearts and homes to them. When we come back, we're going to talk about this issue. We'll be right back. This 
This is Girlfriend on Toginet. Don't forget to tell your friends to check it out on Girlfriended.com. It's time to discover it, connect it, propel it, Girlfriend it. And we'll be right back with more Girlfriended Radio right after these. My husband and I have always wanted to plant a new church. After 10 years, God finally affirmed that in us. We thought we were on our own. We never imagined that there was an organization that could partner with us. That's when we got connected with Stadia. They have incredible systems in place to support our family, including a network designed specifically for me, the spouse of a church planner. We could have never done it without Stadia. Stadia brings people and churches together to transform lives and communities through church planting. For more information, go to stadia.cc. It's not just time for a change, is it? It's much bigger than that. Can you feel it? It's time for a transformation. Will you now imagine that you can and will transform your life? Will you suspend your disbelief and imagine that all things are not just possible, but probable? Imagine that you will meet guides, mentors, and trusted friends who believe in you, hold your hand as they point the way, and teach you to trust your own wisdom. The first of these friends is spiritual girlfriend Gail Carruthers. Gail will show you how to believe. Believe your perfect divine wisdom will reveal your worthiness. Believe that knowing your power will open your boundless courage. Courage to live consciously, fearlessly, and joyfully. And then know, know all these things are already here and waiting for you to bring them into your divine life. She is here to help you discover, believe, and know. So join Gail, your spiritual girlfriend, every Friday at noon Eastern Standard Time. Only here on the Woohoo Radio Network. Welcome back to Girlfriended Radio. A chance for you to let your hair down, curl up with a mug of whatever you love, and have some nice girl talk. It's Girlfriended, the radio show on toginet.com. And now back to the show with your hosts, Patty and Lisa. Well, welcome back. We have so appreciated our just our time with our special guest, Jed Medifine, who, among other things, serves as president of the Christian Alliance for Orphans, which is a coalition of 140-plus organizations working together to inspire and equip Christians worldwide for effective adoption foster care and global orphan initiative. And Jed, this is such a heartbeat here. We, we live in Arizona and this has really become a crisis, the foster care, um, the system here, and there's not enough uh, families to adopt. And we have these kids literally in the hallways of some of these offices. And so a lot of here talking about the coalition and collaboration, um, that's one of the things our churches here have really come together to go, how can the church be a part of the solution to this need? And it was interesting because just a couple of weeks ago, my my own son and daughter-in-law have really felt the calling to engage in foster care with uh, to, to adopt, actually. And so they've been, it, God has really stirred their hearts, touched their hearts. So they're in that process of learning and going to the classes. And they did a video uh, a couple weeks ago mm-hmm. and they, we, we showed it in church. And then we, afterwards we said in a couple of weeks, we're going to have a meeting to rally. And just from that one video, like over 300 families from our church said, okay, we are interested in this. And the, and the conversation was going. And so we're seeing uh, amazing response to this and people stepping up and going, I want to be a part of this change and really you know, loving the least of these, as Jesus would say. We see throughout the Gospels how Jesus truly embraced the little children. Mm-hmm. They were really his heartbeat. 
Can you just explain to us your heartbeat, your journey into becoming the president of something so significant like that and truly transforming our culture? Mm. Well, I love I love hearing that story. That that is really neat to hear. And and what's you know, it's just thrilling in, in, in my position to get to see things like that happening all over the country and, and in fact all over the world of Christians really waking to the needs of, of orphans and vulnerable children in, in our own communities and then choosing to respond to that in various ways, both locally through mentoring and fostering and foster to adopt, uh, as well as globally supporting work around the world to, to care for, for orphans and vulnerable children. And uh, so, you know, I, I do have the privilege of leading the Christian Alliance for Orphans and so getting to be a part of that and seeing so many just amazing people living this way. And, you know, what, what one thing I love about it is that this is absolutely nothing new for Christians. You know, from the earliest days of the church, Christians had a reputation as a people who cared for orphans. Um, in, in Rome, when, when Roman citizens would take their babies outside the cities and abandon them, which was a practice called exposing. When a child was unwanted, they were taken out there and left for the wild animals and the, the wind and rain. Uh, Christians would go outside and find those children and take them back in and, and often raise them as their own. And that's been a part of the history of the church. When, when the church is healthy, Christians are known for that, as, as people who defend the fatherless, as it says in Isaiah, or, or care for orphans and widows in their distress, like, like it says in James. And so I think that really what we're seeing today is a resurgence of that, of Christians kind of re-earning that historical reputation as people who pay special care for the, the orphan. And, um, and, and, and you know, so this, the story you describe is, is just a wonderful snapshot of what, what I'm seeing around the country and around the world. Of, of Christians really stepping up in that area, and it is it is beautiful to see. Well, it, it we are really coming to realize more and more, which we've only know already known, but it really is not the government that's going to be solving our world issues. It really is God's people, and it's the local church, and church uniting, and and the fact that you know you're a coalition of 140 plus organizations. We are stronger when we work together, and we don't worry about egos or territories, but we go, how can we come together as God's people to solve this problem that's facing our culture? And what a great story to know that is in, it's in the history of our church, the church at large, that we have been caring for the least of these, these vulnerable children. What are you seeing? How are you seeing progress moving? Because as we're seeing in our culture, the family unit is being so you know, you're seeing such so much unhealthiness in the family unit. It's breaking down so much. And so you're seeing more of a need with these children to be in these loving homes and to be adopted. And, and that's a great way the church, like you said, when the church is healthy, to really step in there and, and welcome these little children. What are some of the things you're seeing as, as people are coming together to be a part of the solution? Well, you know, I couldn't agree with you more that this is a need that government alone cannot solve. You know, government certainly can play an important role in child protection. If a child's being abused or things like that, they can remove them from, from their home and try to, you know, ensure that they're not negatively treated. But, but in terms of providing the things that a child needs to thrive, the deepest needs of a child, the love and nurture and belonging, those things can, can only happen one child at a time uh, through loving, caring adults. And, and that's where the church is needed. We can't outsource James 127, the government. We have to be willing to do that. And it's, it's, it's not an easy journey. I'm, I'm sure as you're, um, 
his daughter and son-in-law have experienced in their journey uh, wading through the paperwork and becoming certified as a foster parent or becoming uh, cleared to, to foster to adopt. Th those are frustrating, challenging things as you're dealing with broken systems and, and government. Um, but, of course, I would also say as, a, as an adoptive dad myself, it's one of the most rewarding journeys you can take um, is, is bringing in a child who's been wounded very, very often and, and seeking to love them um, amidst the challenges that, that, that they have faced and, and some of those things that come with them as they come into your home. It's, it's, it can be challenging, but it is a joyful journey as well to see God bring healing through consistent love and nurture and um, and churches around the country doing that and really um, making a profound difference in these governmental systems when when in like in Colorado the number of children waiting to be adopted in that state has been cut from 800 about five years ago to less than 300 today and everyone knows who's doing mm -hmm. it it's the Christian churches mm -hmm. who are taking kids who in the past no one else seemed to, to, to want to take in Okay, I have to ask you a personal question. How many how many kids do you have that you adopted, and is that why you started going into this direction? Like, which came first, the chicken or the egg? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Actually, it was um, the chicken keepers. Um, we, uh, <laughs> we we adopted first, um, and we, we just one of our. We have five kids. They're all pretty small still. The oldest is nine. So we, uh, that's a long story. But we hadn't planned to have so many or have them all so close together. But uh, you know. God's, God's blessings uh, sometimes exceed your own plans. But one of our children is adopted, and uh, she's almost five now. And um, and that really w preceded my work with the Christian Alliance for Orphans. Uh, when we were in adopting, I was actually was when I was in the White House, and at that time I was working on a number of issues related actually to uh, global AIDS, the President's Emergency Plan for AIDS Relief which has a strong um, orphans and vulnerable children component, as well as um, doing some work actually on domestic foster care. And so those things were very much on my heart. And just as a Christian, I, I've always seen in Scripture, you know, this is something God cares deeply about. But I would say that, that our own adoption journey really opened my eyes and maybe even more opened my heart more deeply to the needs of, of orphans. And, and so um, when the opportunity came up to help lead the Christian Alliance for Orphans, it just felt like such a such a privilege to get the opportunity to pour my, my day's work in, into this. Well, and my, my next personal question, is that why you ended up leaving the White House, because you just became so so passionate in this area? Uh, no. <laughs> Actually, um, just when, when the Bush White House ended, January 20th was, you know, Inauguration Day, and that was my last day on the job, and I met with uh, President Obama's team and, and helped um, you know, kind of bring them up to speed on what was happening with the faith-based and community initiative so that they could kind of build on, on the, the successes that had come before them. And we passed the torch, and then, uh, and then I moved out. So that, that's, that always happens, um, you know, with each change of administration. Well, you so appreciate when when believers are in those mm -hmm. in the trenches like that in, in high levels of government to really be a light and be a voice in there and using your voice and being able to see things and then doing having the courage to do something about that. So, I mean, I would love to, to have more conversation just about that whole journey with you and what you've seen and what you've experienced and you know, what you anticipate coming down the road, but that's for another time. On, on this whole issue with, with the foster care and, and the orphans, what would you, it, it is easy to look at it, the needs are overwhelming and you're at different stages of life. And some of the things that has been really sweet to watch in our own church is 
several couples that are even, you know, in their 50s and 60s that they're empty nesters going, I want to lean into this. I, I want to be a part of this. I want to love these children. And that just warms my heart when you see mm -hmm. people because you know that it is going to disrupt life. It's going to be inconvenient. And yet loving these children like that and being a part of, of this is very significant and encouraging. And we only have about two minutes, Jed. And again, we just want to thank you so much for taking your time. We know there's so many other things you could be doing to, to be a part of our show and our conversation, to really encourage and empower others to, to do those small things, like you said, to be attentive, to lean into, and to be a part of a change and transformation for eternity, even if it's just for one person at a time, which is significant. What is something you want to, you could leave with if people are on the fence on this or just thinking about this whole foster care and the needs, what is something in less than two minutes you would like to leave us with? <laughs> well, you know, I, I think one, one of the biggest things is just the, the reality, as you, you alluded to earlier, that loving orphans, and that would include loving children in foster care, really, it not only can transform the life of a child, but it can transform our lives as well. And, you know, not everyone is called to adopt. Not everyone is called to foster, um, although I would encourage everyone to consider that, even if they're empty nesters like you were mentioning. You know, mm -hmm. there, there's some empty rooms in the house, and sometimes uh, that might actually be more adventurous than living on a golf course for the rest of your life, you know. <laughs> um, but but <laughs> whatever whatever your station, there's a place for you in it. You know, becoming a, a, a mentor is something anyone can do. Becoming a support structure for families that are fostering or adopting, running errands for them, helping them out through those journeys. Um, becoming a CASA, that's a court-appointed special advocate for kids that are in foster care, can be a great role where you can, can get involved in the life of one child. And, and those are things that change the lives of children. But, but as I said, they change us in the process as well. They help us to understand God's heart for us when he pursued us, when we were destitute and alone, and, and they draw us to become more like Jesus as we love these children. So, you know, that, that is the, amidst the costliness, the, the daunting challenges of it all, that is the reward. It is, it is uh, far better, I would argue, than you can find on a golf course or even at a day spa. Well, and you, you absolutely said so many great things. So many times we want to sit back and play it safe and what's convenient and what's comfortable. And yet we're missing an incredible adventure that God has for us. And even we're, we're never too old. We're never out of season when well, God can use us. And how boring to golf every day. Like you said, I mean, God has a crazy adventure waiting for each and every one of us. And we can make those small choices to, I mean, there's nothing wrong with golfing for sure. Well, Jed, again, thank you for, uh, for taking your time. Thank you for challenging us to really step in and do those little things that can make a lasting impact for eternity. Thanks for joining our show. We'll be talking to you next time. Thank you for being a part of this special program, Girlfriend It. The show dedicated to the most important woman you know, yourself. It's the show.